Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Be looking at the last half of verse 8 and then all through down to verse 12. You're wondering why the last half of verse 8 is because the, that's where the verse break should have been. The verse breaks weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those were added by people later. But we'll get to that point in a moment. But while you're turning there, I want you to think about how knowledge of the future can totally change your life. If you know what's coming in the future, it can change everything. I thought of two examples. One, a little more lighthearted. Let's say, for example, that years ago you met Steve Jobs the late Steve Jobs, while he was trying to borrow money to build the first Apple computer in his garage, and you knew the future, you knew that Apple Computer Company was going to become a multi-billion dollar company, and he was looking for somebody who would, you know, buy a portion of the company, loan him the money, so you loaned him all your life savings, bought half of Apple Computer, that changed your life, right? On a more serious note, another example, imagine that you were a Jewish person, living in Germany before Hitler came to power, and you knew the future. You knew what was going to happen to the Jewish people, and so you had time to warn others and to leave yourself. Think of how dramatically changed lives can be when we know the future. It's life-changing. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, Paul tells us that one of the blessings God has given to us is to make known to us what his will is, what is going to happen in the future. One of the spiritual blessings that Paul lists here. Over the last weeks, we've been talking about how Paul wrote this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, to strengthen people who live in a spiritually difficult area, like us here. And to encourage us, he lists spiritual blessings that God has given to us. So we looked at the blessings of election, predestination, last week redemption and forgiveness, and this week we're going to look at the blessing of God making known to us what's going to happen in the future. Look at what Paul says, last five words of verse 8 down to verse 12. Paul says, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Let's start with this first question. What has God done for us? End of verse 8, verse 9, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. That's what God has done. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. Now that word mystery could be a bit misleading because you might think it means something that's not understandable, or something that's maybe a little weird and spooky, but that's not what Paul means by the word mystery. What he means by mystery is something that God has not revealed as clearly in the Old Testament, but he is revealing it clearly now in the New Testament. So it's something that God has not revealed as clearly in the Old Testament, which he is clearly revealing now in the New Testament. So for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the mystery of how we will be changed when Jesus comes back at the second coming. 
And two chapters later in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about the mystery of how through Christ, Gentiles become part of God's chosen people. It's a mystery, but it's revealed now. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about the mystery that we can have Jesus dwelling in us, filling our hearts with hope of his future glory. So these are all mysteries, things that God has not revealed as clearly in the Old Testament, which he is revealing clearly to us now. So God has made known to us the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? Verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what he's revealed is a plan for the fullness of time. And what that phrase, fullness of time, means, it's referring to the end of history. Time has reached its fullness, and it's time for God to bring world history to a close. The time when Jesus returns, the end of history, when we move into the final judgment and the heaven, new heavens and the new earth and judgment. So that's the, the fullness of time. He's talking about what happens in the future when Jesus comes back. So God has made known to us what's going to happen in the future. Now, you might be wondering, how can God know what's going to happen in the future? That's a fair question, and that's why those last five words of verse 8 are so important. In all wisdom and insight, God has made this known to us. Now, think about that. If somebody has all wisdom and insight about the future, then you can trust them with 100% certainty, and confidence. If they have all wisdom and all insight about the future. And the reason God has all wisdom and all insight about the future is because he doesn't just know the future, he has planned the future. He brings the future about according to his will. As we see in verse 11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. So he doesn't just look ahead and see, well, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. No, this is what he has planned to happen. And so because he's planned it, he knows it, and we can trust him when he tells us about it. Here's an illustration. Let's say that you were going to take a trip to Thailand for vacation, and you see this airplane in front of you. You ask one of the ground crew, is this plane going to Thailand? And they say, well, I'm not really sure. So you wouldn't know. Okay, but if you ask the pilot, is this plane going to Thailand? He would say, oh yes, because I'm flying it there. I'm taking it there. When we ask God what's going to happen in the future, he says, this is going to happen, this will happen, this will happen, and I know because I'm the pilot. I'm taking the history there. I'm in control of everything that's going to happen. And that's why when God tells us about the future, we can trust him with 100% absolute certainty. God doesn't just know what will happen. He has planned what will happen. He is going to bring about what will happen. That's why we can trust him. Okay, so what is going to happen? What will happen in the future? Read verse 10 again. Start with verse 9, though, to get the, the flow of thought. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, here it is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is amazing. 
God has purposed to unite all things in Christ. Everything in the universe, everything that exists, one day is going to be united in Jesus Christ. Now, now think about that. Things are not united now. Things are separated. Things are fragmented. Things are divided. I mean, think about it. People are divided, separated from God, right? People have turned their backs on God. People are, are following religions of their own making. People are divided, separated from God. People are divided, separated, fragmented within themselves. Hearts are not at harmony. There's not a wholeness. There's not an integration. There's not a peace. There's this conflicting passion and this insecurity and this fear. People are divided within themselves. Races are divided against each other. I mean, what's been happening tragically in Myanmar with the Rohingya people? Have you been reading that in the news? And it's just every couple of weeks there's some new horrible racial brutality and conflict that's going on. Nations are divided against each other. North and South Korea, most recently in the news, creation is in conflict with itself. It's divided. I mean, when is the last time the lion and the lamb lay down with each other, right? There's earthquakes. There's malaria. There's cancer. There's typhoons. There's hurricanes. Hur creation is divided against each other. So Everything is conflicted, divided, fragmented. Now, how did that happen? That's not how God created the world to be. Genesis 1 and 2, the universe was not divided against each other. There was a complete unity and a wholeness under God's will. Genesis 1 and 2. What happened? Genesis 3 happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and when sin entered the world, the world came under God's curse and the power of sin and the power of Satan grew, 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 causing more and more fragmentation, more and more conflict, more and more division. It's tragic. But in great mercy, God has had a plan to display the glory of his mercy in bringing salvation to the world, to the universe. God has a plan to glorify his name by saving the world, and it's going to be through, it has been through, it is through Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He's equal to God the Father in every way. And God the Father asked his son to humble himself lower, lower, lower from God, to be born as a baby. That's what we're going to be celebrating soon on Christmas. Born as a baby, to grow up in Palestine to go to the cross then and to die on the cross to pay for sin's guilt. And so Jesus, with great love for the Father's glory and great compassion for us, said yes. And 2,000 years ago, he was born as a baby, lowered himself, born as a baby, grew up in Palestine. And then for three years, he traveled throughout Palestine teaching with power, and with authority, and showing his deity, showing his godness, showing God's power through healing blind eyes, and raising the dead, and casting out demons, and calming seas and storms, and taking five loaves and two fish and multiplying them for enough food for thousands. Everywhere he went, he left behind him people who were healed and freed and blessed. He's displaying God's heart, displaying God's reality. And then he went to the cross where he suffered payment 
for sin's guilt. And because he did that, because he paid for sin's guilt, God is saving a multitude that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. A multitude that no one can count. God's saving. And not only that, but at the end of history, God is going to set this world, this universe, free from his curse, free from sin's power, free from Satan. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what God's going to do. And the reason God is going to do this, the reason he can do this, is because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And that's why, because of what Jesus did, because the salvation, all salvation depends upon Jesus, at the end of history, God is going to unite all things in him. Which means he's going to cause everything in existence to display Jesus' glory. Everything that is will display the glory of Jesus Christ. Nothing will dishonor Christ. Nothing will speak against Christ. God is going to make everything that exists display the glory of Jesus. So, for example, I thought of it like creation is going to display the glory of Jesus. The lion and the lamb lying down together, friends, okay? The, the, The trees of the field will clap their hands, the prophet Isaiah tells us. Rivers will shout with joy. The mountains will bow down. That's all metaphorical, but we know the creation is groaning now, waiting for this day, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, right? Creation's going to display glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus for what's happened. Not just creation, Satan and his demons will glorify Jesus. Not willingly, but they will display his glory. Because when God casts Satan and his demons into the lake of fire forever. Their infinite punishment will show that the the glory of Jesus they had rebelled against was infinite. The infiniteness of their punishment will show that what they rebelled against in Jesus was infinite glory. And so their punishment in the lake of fire will display the awesome glory of Jesus. If that's the punishment that's deserved for dishonoring him, then he's infinitely glorious, will be the the display that will come from Satan and his demons and their punishment. In the same way, people who have continued in sin will display Jesus' glory. Jesus has loved them. He has cared for them. He's been patient with them. He's shown them the reality of who God is through creation. He's he's testified in their consciences how much they need him. But they've refused his salvation and they've continued to rebel against him. And so just like Satan and his demons, they will display Jesus' glory as they are cast into hell forever and the infiniteness of that punishment will show that the glory of Jesus they rebelled against was an infinite glory it will display the glory of Jesus so we've got creation we've got Satan and his demons we've got those who've continued in sin and there's one more group 
those who've been saved. Those who've been saved will display Jesus' glory. At the end of history, here's what's going to happen to us, Grace Church. He will, first of all, finally set us free from all remaining sin. Bring it, Lord. Bring it. We long for that day. All remaining sin freed. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. From the trials, from the suffering, from the persecution, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Not group wiping, not one at a time, right? Your tears, your tears, your tears. And he's going to mercifully reward, reward our undeserving obedience. He's going to reward us with more joy in him forever. And he's going to welcome us into the new heavens and the new earth. New heavens and new earth. And the picture I get, and this is what the Bible says, is we are going to to shout, all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe, we are going to shout with a shout that will reverberate to the furthest extent of the universe. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, right? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory, glory, there it is, all glory and blessing. And that's going to be you on that final day. So God has made known to us where everything is going. Everything is going to be united in glorifying Jesus Christ. Everything is going to point to Jesus. Every cell, every being, everything is going to point to the glory of Jesus Christ. And just to pause there and ponder, well, but what about like sports celebrities today? Gone and forgotten right? What about all the wealth I've piled up? Gone and forgotten. Everything was going to be united in displaying the glory of Jesus Christ, which you will be so glad that you've lived your life for the glory of Jesus Christ when you see his glory displayed in such a dazzling way on that day. So that's what God is going to do. That day is coming. You are going to be there. We're going to see each other. Remember that Friday morning in Abu Dhabi? It's happening, right? It's real, friends. It's going to happen. And it's just, life is short. Eternity is long. And our destiny is sure in Jesus Christ. So that's knowledge of the future that God gives to us, and that is such a blessing. But before we get there, at this point, I think Paul anticipates a question that can come up. And the question is, that all sounds fine and good. I know I'm trusting Jesus now, but the road from here to there is full of difficulties, trials, suffering, temptations, Who's to say I can continue on the road to heaven all the way? The road is hard, right? Who's to say I'm going to make it all the way to the end? Can I be sure that if I'm trusting Jesus now, I'll be there in the new heavens and the new earth? And the answer is 
yes, 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 yes. And I think Paul anticipates that question because he he answers it in the next two verses, verses 11 and 12. So can we be sure now that we will make it to heaven? The answer is yes, because of verses 11 and 12. Start with verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So here Paul says, Every believer has obtained an inheritance. We haven't received the inheritance yet, but it's been reserved for us. It is there awaiting us. There's an inheritance. And what does that mean? Well, if you had very wealthy parents, they might leave you an inheritance, which they might set up a separate bank account. Let's say it has 100 million dirhams in it. It's very wealthy, okay? And you don't have it yet, But this is your inheritance. It is there. You've obtained it, but you haven't yet received it. This inheritance makes 100 million dirhams look like rubbish in the street. And that is not an overstatement. That is an understatement. This inheritance that God has given to us, that we've obtained, we haven't received it yet, but it's reserved there for us. This inheritance is infinitely more valuable. Why? What is it? And the answer for what it is is found in verse 14. We're going to be looking at this in the next weeks. Verse 14, look at what Paul says. This helps me understand what the inheritance is. Paul says, who, and the word, it's, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. There's that word. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now this word guarantee, one of my favorite words in the Bible for this reason, because of this verse. It's the Greek word arabon, which means it's like a deposit or a down payment. So if you were going to buy a house, right, you put a a down payment, maybe a 10% or 20% down payment in, which shows the owner that, okay, this is money serious, and the lender says, okay, I'll put up the rest, whatever. Okay, but so a, a deposit is a small portion of money showing that there's more money to come. Now, the Holy Spirit is the deposit. So here's what's happened. God, here's the inheritance God has, has reserved for you in heaven. It's coming. And God has taken a portion of that inheritance, and he's given it to you now. You have it now. And it's the Holy Spirit. So what the Holy Spirit does is what? What does the Holy Spirit do in our hearts now? It's all summed up in the Gospel of John. He glorifies Jesus in our hearts. I thought of a couple different things that that means, different ways it's described in the Bible. It means that as we open up the Scriptures, as we worship the Lord, we see and we feel the all-satisfying glory of Jesus Christ. So our hearts are just filled. We have times where we experience that. It's not constant, but we have times where we experience that. Our heart thirsts, Jesus said, are completely satisfied with the living water of Jesus' presence. The Holy Spirit helps us to experience the very presence of Jesus, and you know how that is. You're just filled when that takes place. We experience God's actual love being poured into our hearts, which is, you know, we know God loves us based on the word feeling up, feeling down. He loves us. We know that. But there are times when the Holy Spirit pours God's love into your heart, and it's like, you're feeling it, right? Right? Oh, it's nothing 
more satisfying than the love of God being poured into your heart. Peter says we experience joy unspeakable and full of Christ's glory. So this is what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And the highest joy, like far higher than anything else, is found in having the Holy Spirit reveal the glory, the beauty of Jesus Christ in your heart so you see it and you feel it. Infinitely greater joy than anything else. But that's just a deposit. That's just a little down payment of what's to come. So as much as you've experienced that in this life, it is a very small portion because there's a, there's a massive inheritance where that came from. So when you're saved, God takes a, a portion, a, a portion of what you're going to experience in heaven, and he gives it to you now. Here's a deposit of the inheritance. I want you to know that it's real, and I want you to know that it's all satisfying. And so as we seek the Lord, as we fight the fight of faith, we have times where we're like, oh, yes, I'm tasting heaven. What I'm tasting now is a taste of the joys of heaven. It's real, and it's worth it all. So if the Holy Spirit is the deposit, then what's the whole inheritance? It's having your heart completely, overflowingly, satisfyingly, everlastingly filled with beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, knowing Him, seeing Him face to face, worshiping Him, fellowshipping with Him, communing with Him. That's the inheritance. Okay? Now, are you ready for that? I'm totally ready for that. Bring it. Even come quickly, Lord Jesus. So that's the inheritance. Now, let me just share with you how this helped me maybe five or six years ago. I hope it'll be helpful for you. I was driving to, this is I was in the, in the U.S., I was driving to a Starbucks to meet with somebody. And as I was driving, I just realized I am feeling spiritually very dull. I'm sluggish, little zeal for Christ's glory, weak faith, weighed down by stuff. And I just said, oh, Lord, help me. Look at my heart. And I remember that, on the passenger seat, I had my little stack of Bible memory cards. And so I said, okay, Lord, let's see what you might be able to do. And the verse that was at the top of the stack was Hebrews chapter 1, 10 and 11. You have obtained an inheritance. And so I just said, okay, Lord, give it to me. Show me. And I started to pray over that verse. And I mean, I, I knew that I had an inheritance. Uh, if you would have asked me a, a doctrinal question, I would have gotten that one right. Yes, I've got an inheritance. But as I prayed over it that way, God helped me see you have an inheritance, Steve Fuller. I have reserved this for you in heaven. Your certain destiny and your eternal destiny is heart-filling joy. Undiluted with any sorrows, worries. No, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Joy in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. And he helped me see that that is so real and that that is so mine. It completely changed my perspective. And I would guess some of you need to hear that this morning. You need to see you have an inheritance. Eternal joy awaits you. You might be going through trials right now, suffering right now. Joy is coming. Weeping may last for the night, the psalmist says, but joy comes in the morning. The morning, the never-ending morning is coming for you. Okay, but we still haven't asked, answered the question, how can I know I'm going to get there? Right? That's kind of wanted to set you up for it. Do you want it? Do you, do you want to know that you're going to get there? Perfect. Now, two reasons Paul gives. One is in verse 11. Read it again. Notice that word predestined. In him 
we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So not only has God reserved an, an inheritance for you, he has predestined that you are going to get it. He has predestined that. He has decided ahead of time that you will receive the inheritance. Now, how can he predestine that? It's because he works all things according to the counsel of his will. When God decides something is going to happen, it will happen because he's God. Nothing can stop God. So the fact that God has looked at you and said, I'm predestining you to the inheritance. I'm predestining you to the inheritance. And you, and you, and you. That means it is going to happen. You will make it all the way on that road to heaven to the end. Now, how does God do that? It's because, as Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, he who began a good work in you, changing your heart, giving you faith, giving you repentance, he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to keep you persevering in faith all the way to the end. This is not because of how strong you are or how spiritually disciplined you are. None of us are strong enough or spiritually disciplined enough to do it. But he will strengthen us. He will give us the grace we need. He will give us everything we need to make it all the way to the end. So when you go through trials, he will comfort you. When you face difficulties, he will strengthen you. When you face temptations, like we saw last week, he will give you everything you need to conquer that temptation. He's going to keep you on the road. Doesn't mean you'll never slip off into sin. We do, but he'll never let you slip off so far that you plunge into eternal destruction. He'll look up. He'll put confessions in your, in your heart. He'll put repentance in your heart. Let's get back up on the road, Steve. Let's come, come on, let's get back up. Yes, Lord, thank you. Yes, okay. Here we go. Let's wash you off, dust you off. Here we go. Strengthen you, comfort you. Are you ready? Okay, let's keep going. That's what he will do. Not that we don't slip off the road, but every time he'll bring us back. Every time he'll bring us back. Paul says God is predestined that you will get the inheritance, and the reason he can do that is because he will keep you persevering in faith all the way to the end. My dad likes to say that the Bible doesn't teach a possum religion, but a kangaroo religion. Ever heard this before? I, I love this. You, you got to meet my dad. Okay, he's, he's awesome. Okay, huge difference. Possum babies have to hang on to mom themselves. Okay? If a possum baby lets go, it's a very sad thing that happens. All right? Kangaroo babies, Joey's, right? Okay. Kangaroo babies are in mom's pouch. The pouch protects them. The pouch holds them. The pouch keeps them. They may let go from times, but the pouch is there for them. See the difference? That's what God does for us. We're not possum babies. It's not all up to us holding on. We're in the pouch of God's predestining, merciful, gracious, saving, keeping, persevering work. And so God has predestined that you will get the inheritance. He will keep you persevering until the end. You're not sinless, but he will keep you back. He'll strengthen you, comfort you, give you everything you need. That's one reason why we can be sure. But now, the second reason is crucial, because you might think, okay, how do I know I was predestined? For that. It's a question everybody raises. It's a good question. And Paul answers that in verse 12. So that, 
we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Okay, this, is, this is not an easy verse to understand. It looks easy, but it's hard to know what is that group, we who were the first to hope in Christ. Who is he talking about there? Some commentators think that he's referring to the earliest Jewish believers. And that's possible, but I don't think that's the right answer. Many commentators say no, and the reason is because the word we, all through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, has referred to all believers. And another way to translate first to hope in Christ is to translate it as those who are already hoping in Christ, those who have begun hoping in Christ but who haven't received the inheritance yet. In other words, he's talking about every believer because we've all started off hoping in Christ. And his point is that all of us who have started off hoping in Christ, by God's predestining and keeping power, we will be to the praise of his glory. We will get the inheritance. We will make it all the way to the end. Which shows that the way you can tell you're predestined is because you are hoping in Christ now. Are you hoping in Christ now? Not, are you sinless? Not one of us here is. But are you hoping in Christ now? Are you looking to Jesus, trusting him for your forgiveness, trusting him for your righteousness? Are you trusting him, his power to change your heart? Are you trusting him to keep you on the road? Are you trusting him to satisfy you? Are you trusting that his joy is what your life is all about and what will fill you completely? I mean, we all have a different view of the future. Think about how you're viewing the future. There's, there's a vacation over here. Maybe there's lunch today you're thinking about, okay, well, different things you're thinking about, but, but is, is Jesus, is Jesus preeminent in your hopes? As you look ahead to your future, is it, yes, all that, but Jesus, I'm going to be, for, be before Jesus, I'm going to see him face to face one day. Because you're hoping in Christ now, you can know absolutely that God has predestined you to receive the inheritance then which means you can know with 100% certainty that you will be in heaven. Not because of how disciplined you are, not because of how spiritually wise you are, or how strong your faith is, but because of his promise that he will keep you. Because you're hoping in Christ, you know you're in the pouch. You're there. So here's this blessing that Paul has unfolded for us. God has let us know the mystery of his will. He's revealing it to us clearly that at the end of history, he's going to unite everything in bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Everything in the universe is going to display the glory of our Lord and Savior. And you've received an inheritance. Great joy in Christ is reserved for you then and forever. And you can know for sure that that's going to be yours because you're hoping in Christ now. That shows that he has predestined you and he's going to keep you and you will be in heaven. Listen, 110 years from today, you're going to be there. Okay? Depending on when you die or whatever. Okay? 110 years, it's absolutely certain you're going to be there by his grace because of what Jesus has done. Shouting with all the saints, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, let me give you three applications here. First of all, let this comfort you. I'm sure some of you are 
weighed down with grief and sorrow because of heartbreaking trials you're going through. This is part of the Christian life, right? This is part of the Christian life. Jesus told us in the world you will have tribulation. The path to heaven leads through many difficulties, okay? So you're in them right now, some of you, and, and your heart is grieving and sorrowing, and it's difficult. But let this comfort you because God is going to keep you. God is going to give you all that you need. God is going to give you the comfort. God's going to give you the strength. God is going to give you the the help. And the day is going to come when he's going to wipe every tear from your eyes and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The war is over. We have conquered. Welcome home. It'll be worth it all. So be comforted. Let's also be motivated by this. Here's how this has been stirring in my heart these last few days. When we see everything united in glorifying Jesus, we're going to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ so clearly. And when we see how glorious he is, we're going to be so glad that we lived for his glory. You will be thrilled that you devoted your life to advancing the gospel. You'll be thrilled that you devoted your time to building up your brothers and sisters to serving those in your home group, to caring for them. You'll be thrilled that you invested financially in the advance of God's kingdom, that you poured your life out to preach the gospel, share the gospel with lost people. You'll be so glad that you lived your life for Jesus' glory when you see his glory displayed. So let this motivate you to live for his glory now. Knowledge of the future should change our lives now. This is where it's going. Get on board. Here we go. So comfort motivation, and then encouragement. No matter how far from God you might be right now, no matter what other religion you've been devoted to, no matter how deeply you've sinned, no matter what wickedness you may have done, if you will turn to Jesus right now and trust Him, just trust Him, trust Him to forgive you, trust Him to change you, Trust him to fill and satisfy you with himself. You just come and you come as you are with your baggage, whatever other religion, whatever other whatever sin, and you just turn from all that stuff and you trust Jesus. He will forgive you. He will change you. He will satisfy you. You'll be hoping in Christ and you'll know you're in the pouch. You've been predestined for the inheritance. Everything is going to be displaying the glory of Jesus. You're going to be there. You're going to be there. So let this comfort you. And let this motivate you. And let this encourage you to put your trust in Christ. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray for your power to come right now. I pray for those who are in desperate need for comfort. They're heartbroken. They're full of sorrow. Maybe over their sin, maybe it's because of a sickness, maybe it's a wayward child, maybe it's 
any number of things. But Lord, would you lift their eyes now to see the inheritance that awaits, to see that you will wipe every tear from their eyes, that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome into the joy of the Lord forever. God, comfort them right now, I pray. Pour out your spirit upon them through this truth of your word and fill them with comfort, Lord, right now. Strengthen them, fill them, help them, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd motivate us. If there's areas in our lives that are not devoted to your glory, show them to us now, Lord, we pray. We don't want to waste a second of our time here on earth. Life here is short. We know eternity is long. We know that your glory is completely worth it. So, Lord, help us to devote every part of our lives now to living for your glory so that we'll have even more joy forever in beholding your glory. So motivate us, Lord. And I pray that you would encourage those who maybe have been part of other religions or who have been drifting from you or who haven't believed in you at all. But Lord, that right now they would turn to Jesus, see the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ, and that they would be forgiven, changed, and filled. Do that now, Lord, we pray. Let's worship the Lord.